To our dear Wellness Couch listeners, we are sending you all our love during these unprecedented times. Now is the time to appreciate what community really is all about. And on the back of our wellness base camps in Geelong and Camden being postponed, we've decided to run a virtual experience that anyone can attend. It's called Crisis to Confidence. Right now, the world faces five major challenges. The first one, fear and anxiety. So Kim Morrison will present Uncertainty and Love. The second one is social isolation. So Marcus Pierce is going to talk about how to build community during these difficult times. The third is mental and emotional despair. So Brett Hill will talk about how to develop resilience. The fourth is financial uncertainty. So Jason Witten will talk about creating financial security. And the fifth is a challenged immunity. So Cindy O'Meara will share how to boost our immunity during these times. Crisis to Confidence will be broadcast live on Saturday, April 4. And if you can't make it, you'll receive lifetime access. To register and for all the details, go to thewellnessbasecamp.com. That's thewellnessbasecamp.com. Thank you, Wellness Cow Tribe. We love you and send our virtual hugs and kisses. Thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to 100 Not Out, featuring your hosts, Dr. Damien Christoph and Marcus Pierce. Welcome to 100 Not Out, a weekly show dedicated to helping you master the art of aging. Well, Marcus Pierce here with you in these turbulent times. And as always, it gives me incredible pleasure to hear the dulcet tones of the happy man himself. He is Dr. Damien Christoph, my brother from another mother. Hello, legend. Hello, legend. How are you? I'm just, honestly, I've got a smile on my face. The sky <laughs> is blue. The world Good. is going through a challenge at the moment, but more than anything, Simple pleasures are far more valuable than I think they used to be. Just hearing your voice brings a smile to my face. <laughs> oh, you're such a good bloke, PC. I just love it. I, too, look forward to catching up with you. And everybody who listens to this podcast knows that we have a bromance. There's no doubt about it. So uh, great to be here with you in a virtual sense. And, you know, God forgive, for, forbid that we're in the same room together. We could catch something <laughs> from each other. So why we do this via Skype? Social distancing. Oh, yes. We do have 1,500 kilometers between yeah. us do you think we've got enough space we're, in between we're doing good we yeah. are doing good i think that's pretty good <laughs> pretty safe there is some unreasonable fear out there but i get it you know there's some people that are really concerned they don't want their you know friends family parents grandparents to you know catch the virus but i think there's a lot of people out there that are really concerned because they don't know what the virus will do mm. does that make sense and they yeah. also think that if they come into contact with the virus, then they will get it. Mm. So I thought we should put that into a bit of perspective. But also ScoMo came out today and he had a good press conference. And I'm only aware of one thing that he said and I was really impressed with it. But you heard the whole interview, didn't you? Well, I'll, yeah, I think it's important we date stamp this because we will talk about ScoMo in a moment. This is coming out as a double drop of our seventh birthday, which I won't be able to come down to Melbourne to celebrate because I gather there's no screening because a, a good friend of mine, Jacob Blackmore, shout out to Jacob, uh, went to book his tickets and said the event it's no longer available in Eventbrite. It's because of yeah. Corona, isn't it? No, no seventh birthday for 100 Not Out. No longevity film celebration. I actually celebration. was getting a cake for us, PC. I was oh. getting I was getting Anna to make a beautiful cake um, with the 100 Not Out logo. We had it all. It was going to be chocolate cake too, because that's good for longevity, um, according to. Um, 
Dexter Kruger. Dexter Kruger, yep. Yep. Uh, so, you know, I thought that'd be great, great way to celebrate, but we can't, we won't be doing the longevity film. I think that'll end up being maybe October when we get back from Icardi. Uh, yeah. So that'll be, so I think that's still going to go ahead. I have to tell you, PC, I'm still confident that's going to happen. Well, um, there's a few things on this, I think, and I, I know this isn't the theme of it, but I'll give you a bit of my ScoMo insights, and I just want to okay. say a couple of things, and you may agree or disagree, but I, without sounding political, ScoMo was the best he's ever been, and I think he possibly saved his political career today because the certainty that was coming out of him and the emotion. He was trembling. Tommy's just brought in some bread. Thanks, Tommy. Um, boy, Tommy. He made a crunchy bun at Playgroup today. Um, <laughs> but the the certainty and the, the emotion when he, when he was talking about himself as a parent and saying how important it is for kids to be going to school at the moment and why that is and all the rest of it, I just I, I was like, you know what, when um, when all of this goes down and uh, life goes back to a bit of normalcy and knowing how politics works, there'll be an election called relatively shortly after we, we get our senses back. Um, he will win in a landslide is my tip because uh, he's he's turning his leadership around. But the thing he said was that we have to brace ourselves for six months of, you know, uh, you know, a reduced, I don't know how you want to call it, reduced quality of life, whatever you want to call it. Mm. But as I said to my mum and a few other people, uh, this is in business calling under promise and over deliver because there are countries like Singapore and even uh, China and South Korea that are returning to certain levels of normalcy, but the news doesn't want to cover it because it's too good a news. The basketball yep. season in China with all of the imports who are flying in as we speak to give themselves a two-week self-isolation before they hit the courts again is imminent. That's April 15, I believe. South Korea is doing similar things. Um, Singapore, I know they have had a little spike, but they have also been returning to normalcy. Uh, a wellness couch um, uh, former podcaster, Kim Forrester, who lives in Singapore, is a Kiwi, was saying that, you know, they had panic buying a couple of months ago. They had all of the social distancing a couple of months ago. And with all of the measures that they implemented, they are now back to a relatively normal way of life. So, from ScoMo's perspective, saying six months and getting six months burnt into everyone's brain and yep. then bringing the measures that we're bringing on and getting to relative normalcy in two to three months is going to be great for him politically <laughs> because everyone will be yep. like, oh my gosh, all of these measures that felt so harsh but has really killed the monster whilst it's small, well done ScoMo and all of the relevant you know, organizations and authorities. Um and you can see how it works politically, can you not? Like, it's a great move. And yeah. that's why I'm with you. I do believe that our trips to Europe will go ahead. Um, we can't say that for sure, but I, I truly believe that uh, by, let's say, the end of June, we'll definitely be on the other side of the curve. And that's with no degree of certainty, but that is a quiet confidence based on what we're doing now and what other countries that have been um, diligent on have been able to do. Well, you make a lot of great points in there. The one thing that really got me that ScoMo said was that if we shut the country down now for 14 days and then we return to everything else as normal in 14 days' time, what have we actually achieved? And it's a great question because all we would have achieved is just some social isolation um, or maybe some, um, you know, well, just isolation and, that, you know, what – that, that can create a lot of issues and trauma and unwellness mentally for a lot of other people as well. But all we would have done is just quarantined ourselves for just 14 days. And that's it. Like the bug will still be there. There will, you know, still be um, high risk for infection. 
at this time of the year. Australia is probably getting this virus at the worst possible time we could we, we could get it. Uh, and so what he said was, you know, then what? 14 days we shut the country down for? Then what? What are we going to do? Really, what would have to happen if to shut the country down to be effective? We'd be shutting it down for months on end, not just a couple of weeks, is kind of what I got from what he was saying in that regard. Um, and that that really makes more sense than shutting the whole country down, if that makes any sense to you, Piercy. Absolutely, Um, because the new cases have come in from Australians coming in from other countries rather than Australians within Australia. Yeah, this is it. That's right. So, that's right. So, there is some evidence of some person-to-person communication here in Australia, Uh, but obviously, it's got to pass person-to-person because, you know, otherwise, how's this thing going to live? And touching surfaces and all that sort of stuff, and I think people are so aware. You know, going to the gym at the moment, I've never seen the equipment so clean. It's just amazing. (laughs) No, it actually feels quite good. Um, And even at my work, you know, at my practice, I've been cleaning the table after every single adjustment. Yeah, the farmer's market on Tuesday, there were silver bowls that you'd normally have your sweet potato and potato in, and, you know, every single time you bought something, they're cleaning the silver bowls it's yeah. just everything is so yeah. clean within an inch of its life isn't it <laughs> it's sparkly now we've got to be careful i mean this is this you know germ fear mongering um is what has led to the hygiene hypothesis so where that or well, the hyper hygiene hypothesis where people have developed sensitivities and allergies because they didn't get exposed to bacteria so the fear for me moving forward will be that people will be so scared of germs moving forward that they will be a rise in allergies asthma hay fever dermatitis etc 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 as they continue to disinfect and sterilize everything mm-hmm. moving forward right so we saw that through the 80s and the 90s um this hyper hygiene hypothesis um, that all bugs were bad. Now, that all bugs were bad model comes from something known as the germ theory PC, and you would have heard of that, the germ Mm -hmm. theory of disease. This is Louis Pasteur, isn't it, at his finest? Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And what an incredibly um, wise uh, man Louis Pasteur was because what he was able to do was kind of understand that bacteria, um, if it was exposed to – sorry – uh, food, if it was exposed to bacteria and air, um, it would it would go off. But if it wasn't exposed to air and germs, it would um, stay fresh. And so he felt that if you could remove uh, bacteria from the equation, then you would not spoil food. So hence, you know, pasteurization. But there was also other you know other people that went before him that actually uh, spoke of um, of germs and and the like. But on Louis Pasteur's deathbed, his predecessor, his his offsider, um, Beauchamp, um, said, "Look, Louis, it's actually actually not on the deathbed, but prior to the deathbed, he said it's actually not the germ itself. It's not the bacteria. It's not the virus, and it's not the fact that there's oxygen there. It's the quality of the host. It's the host. It's the health of the human, or the health of the fruit, or the vegetable, or the food product, for example. So." Um, he was saying that you could introduce bacteria to an environment and not everybody would be infected. He was also saying that if somebody or something is healthy and in good state or in good you know, good tact, then it would be fine. And you see that, for example, when you buy a punnet of raspberries, some raspberries will get the fungus on them and some raspberries won't get the Mm -hmm. fungus on them. So you kind of go, oh, well, what's the deal with that? What's the relevance? Well, the relevance is that the 
the fungus or the bacteria or the virus in this case um, was there, but not all of the raspberries got it. And that means that some raspberries are in better nick than the other raspberries. Um, and the same thing will be the case for us here in Australia when it comes to COVID-19, the disease, or catching a coronavirus. Now, there's no doubt that there's more than one coronavirus out there. You know, we're talking about COVID-19 as if it's, you know, doomsday, it's going to bring the world down. It will definitely bring the world's economy down, but it won't bring the world's health down. Um, and when you look at it from the statistics, from the numbers alone, um, it really doesn't cut the mustard. I was reading an article today, PC, that in the same three months that's transpired since we've now got like 140, and no, I would have got 200,000 cases of, of COVID. In this same period of time in China, 14 million people have died or something. Wow. Yeah. Big party. Sorry, sorry. No, maybe it's, maybe it's 3 million people have died from, um, from something and 14 million people worldwide have died from other diseases and something like 30,000 people have died from cigarette smoking in the last three months. Wow. So, and in Canada, in this last three-month period, only one person's died. So it's definitely not. And the reason why I say the Canadian, Canadian state is because there was a Canadian, the, the former chief medical officer of Canada said this. This is his article. And he said that only one person had died in Canada at the time of writing that particular article. So he said that it's there's actually no case or cause uh, for the world to be going as mental as what it is, given that so many other people have died in the same period of time from other communicable diseases. Um, and we're not really talking about that. So this is really, I mean, obviously we don't want people to die and we don't want people to get sick. Uh, but by all reports, people are, uh, are behaving irrationally uh, because they're bought into the germ theory of disease as opposed to the understanding that the host is is the most important thing. So rather than protecting their own immune system, they're bunkering down and buying extra groceries for when doomsday occurs. Um, but really, at the end of the day, it's not a big, it's not a big bad problem. I know that it sounds weird that I'm saying that, and people might go, "Oh, Damo, what are you saying that for?" Um, you know, I have to be sensitive to the idea that people are fearful. I get that, uh, but I also like to just bring some sensibility to the, to the, you know, the fact that the human body is incredible. It's withstand or withstood a lot of different. Things including temperature change, including bacteria, including the plague, including other types of viruses. We get the flu every single year. We get rhinovirus, and we've adapted to that over time. The cold used to kill thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people. The, the simple cold, but now we've got immunity to it because we've built it ourselves, and we'll do exactly the same thing to this coronavirus. Oh, very well said. I think I think the. The the word that you mentioned is the host, which I think in the news stories and in society is being uh, forgotten. The stats I've seen from Italy, uh, the two youngest people to have died in Italy who have gone through a massive uh, crisis were 39 years of age, one year older than me. One had cancer, one had diabetes. The average age of death of Italians from coronavirus is is 80. Yep. And you talk about everything you just said about the host, that it's immunocompromised and it's not in a position. It's It's got the fungus. It's, it's the raspberry with the fungus. Um, that seems to be, I feel like, the common sense of a lot of people. But do you feel like the people that are genuinely worried have just forgotten or have never thought of the germ theory, have, have for, never been taught about the germ theory from the perspective of the host? or um, uh, just not giving themselves the five minutes to 
think through it. Because if you're a healthy person listening to this right now, there's no, there's absolutely no reason to be worried. You see people going, I've got the coronavirus and I feel fine. Um, there's not, there's, yeah, do, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I, I don't know whether people actually know much about what uh, Bo Shop said. You know, and look, if you look up in, um, I think online, if you go to just search the germ theory of disease, um, and then you'll see a heap of stuff on it, but you'll never see Beauchamp's name written anywhere. So the, it was an unpopular um, thought that the host would be involved in it, and it's more of a vitalistic viewpoint that the body is self-healing, self-regulating, um, that we would adopt Beauchamp's theories um, and then his argument that it's the host that matters. Uh, but when you think about it, how many kids get sick every single year in a classroom um, and not everybody gets sick at the same time, not everybody gets taken down? Um, Robert Koch had uh, something called the Koch's postulates and one of his postulates was that a microorganism um, should cause disease when introduced into a healthy organism. So this is one of the postulates that kind of came from Louis Pasteur's, um, you know, original uh, experiments when it came to heating, you know, food and et cetera, et cetera. So in, in his postulates, he still said, and so, the, you know, his work continued after Louis Pasteur and then that continued all of the germ theory. So then we got vaccination off the back of all of that. So there was uh, typhoid and anthrax and, um, and, and other subclinical, you know, issues like polio and, you know, that, that people could carry these bugs around but not get infected um, but be then be called carriers or, you know, whatever. And so that's where, you know, Robert Koch became kind of famous because he said, well, there's people out there that will still get the bug but they don't show symptoms, they're carriers. And so you and I would have heard that people, uh, you know, become carriers and they infect the healthy people um, even though they don't get infected themselves. Yeah. That in itself dismisses the quality of the host mm. um, because at the end of the day, you know, the host that's healthy won't express symptoms um, and that should then suggest that the host maybe didn't get the infection at, at all, if that makes sense. So where does it stand then for the the listeners that have children in this conversation? Because as it stands at the moment, our, our kids have essentially now been sent home despite government uh, – Oh, your uh, kids have. I know. Yep. Um, oh. Or shall I say, highly recommended to not come to school. But really? I, I love, uh, I, I've loved the government and the chief medical officer's stance in the conversation about children and the coronavirus. And from a societal perspective, that thirty percent of our healthcare workers are parents. Yeah. And the all and the almost incredibly convenient scenario that kids are not dying from the coronavirus. Yeah. Um, and if we are to put them in situations at home, well, a lot of the time they're not just staying at home. They're going to the supermarket with their parents and they're going <laughs> here right. and they're going there and they're doing this and they're doing that, <laughs> exactly. um, which is not the the idea. So from yeah. that perspective, like, we're, yeah, on all of this that you've just shared with us, what's your view on with the coronavirus, children? And, and from my understanding, the concern is, well, if children are at home and either they've got grandparents living at home or immunocompromised parents, or the rest of it, then that's not a good situation because the kids are uh, asymptomatic and um, they're they're around people that could be um, susceptible. So, is that a valid is that a valid view from a carrier's perspective? Yeah, well, potentially. 
Potentially, and I think you know, with the conversation around the communi- the communicable component of the COVID virus um, being through touch, um, then a little kid who's not going to display symptoms, who hasn't you know washed his or her hands or whatever else, might then bring this virus into an environment where someone who's immunocompromised might then get it. Then, of course, that host, being poor quality, um, would you know, could be, be exposed to this particular virus through touch or through, um, you know, airborne particles coming from the lungs, uh, through a cough or a sneeze, um, and then uh, become infected. And then, of course, then that becomes the problem. So, but I think the chances of that actually happening are, are pretty slim. Mm. But what the media is painting is that if you walk outside, you're walking into a cesspool, like a, a bath <laughs> of virus, like it's everywhere. <laughs> And so they're making people feel like if you go outside or if you touch somebody, um, then you're at risk. So people are, you know, touching each other's elbows and kicking each other's feet and um, no one's even knuckle dusting these days. Like that's not even happening. You know, no one's doing fist pumps. That's not actually happening. So I'd find it so weird. I think that's the thing. It's your own. You've got to really go against your human nature. I, it, it's gone against my human nature. It's been very challenging for me. And, I, and actually, I feel quite disappointed, you know, when I see intelligent people um, having to do this because they fear retribution mm. rather than actually, you know, really wanting to do it themselves. That's so, the social side of it, isn't it? It's almost it's the social pressure. Yeah. yeah, big social pressure and guilt. You know, people who don't necessarily subscribe to the idea that this whole containment thing um, will eliminate the disease. Uh, feel like they'll be doing the wrong thing if somebody got it from them. So mm-hmm. even to the extent that my gym is as clean as it's ever been, it's likely, highly likely that the gym is going to get closed down for a period of time. But even then I go, well, why would it be closed down? No one's actually presented to the gym showing signs of the virus. No. So That's the thing where the, on the lowest common denominator perspective as like the the leader of the country, they are making the most conservative sweeping across the board decisions which again yeah. I don't I'm not disagreeing with them by any stretch because I'm not I've never walked a day in their shoes um I've respect for the fact that they they're in this position and they've got to make decisions but there are a few things where when you talk about it in this way that without wanting to say they defy common sense it's it's so incredibly un uh do you can say unlikely that that transmission would occur in sparkling gyms and and the rest but people are on edge and that's um you're kind of kind of meeting meeting society where they're at isn't it which i was going to ask you like you know sars was coming around in 2002 and the rest and there was a great joy in hong kong when everyone started going out into their events and the races and living (laughs) life again which i'm looking forward for that to experience in australia i think that'll just be a wonderful time um but do you think and I don't mean to sound cynical about this, but given that, you know, when SARS was on, there was no Facebook, there was no Instagram, there definitely was no Twitter, there yep. was the news and there was yep. the internet, but we were less active media consumers. Just from your own view, and I haven't asked you this, like what, what role do you think the media is having in this uh, environment well, from a policy perspective yeah, and from human behavior? Yeah, hijack the whole thing, the media, um, and because fear sells and bad news sells, they've just gone to town on it. There's an element of um, 
of sensibility that some news channels have actually continued to promote, which is, you know, um, up-to-date information from the government. But where they've manufactured and continue to manufacture fear stories um, to make people panic, um, I would I would contest that the media is single-handedly responsible for the panic buying, uh, for the fear-mongering, for the concern out in the community, uh, because if they didn't cover this as much as what they had, the rumours wouldn't be, you know, perpetuating, um, stories wouldn't be getting out of hand. I think the greatest thing about um, the speed at which things are changing is that the media actually has to report the truth instead of actually just making up these fairy tales and lies. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so that as Scott Morrison and the rest of the Australian government continues to bring out information from the World Health Organization and we get those, you know, those little grabs from SCOMO, um, that, that becomes then the new truth because an hour ago there was a different truth. Um, or yesterday, there was a different truth. If we look at Donald Trump, a couple of days ago, you know, the virus didn't exist in America. So it's, you know, the media is definitely making this a massive mountain out of a little molehill, um, and they're doing it, you know, with absolute ease. And last question, the curly yeah. one, don't have to answer it. Yeah. I don't want to. Um, given the media's coverage, do yeah. you think the world would be in lockdown if the – if, I want to say if social media didn't exist um, because the news can is now all over social media, if you know what I mean, you can watch all of your news on social. Yeah. Do you think that the world would be in lockdown if, if Twitter, Facebook and Instagram weren't around? Oh, possibly still, yeah, maybe, but there'd probably be less panic about it. I think, you know, what the health officials have tried to do is to limit the the rapid spread of it because the healthcare systems around the world can't cope with you know rapid infection rates yep. so yeah um i think the approach that they've taken is really sensible i think yep. it makes sense it's just that the way in which business has been affected and the way in which economies have been affected um i think that's in um no small part due to um social media and the media itself i think that they've they've made the problem worse I've loved this chat. I've really enjoyed it. I feel like my heart rate's come down a few notches and um, my heart rate variability is really good. Uh, <laughs> can't say the same for you, but mine is Oh, excellent. mine's good at the moment, actually. Mine's actually improved. Mine's That's improved. good. Well Maybe done. we should talk about why it's improved. We'll do yeah. that next time. Uh, no one will care at the moment. That's the thing. You can't talk about anything unless it has a coronavirus angle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, even fine. the footy, even the footy, you know. Anyway. Um, mate, thank you so much for your wisdom. I really have found this enlightening. I think coronavirus, the germ theory in the media will be the, the title of this. And I think um, given the current climate, it's essential listening. It's essential knowledge. It's important to know uh, when to be calm and uh, know when there's times to be super diligent, um, yeah. uh, particularly given the environments that our listeners find themselves in at certain times. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I appreciate, as always, you bringing a level of calm and wisdom and common sense and knowledge all those years have done you well great man um, uh, thanks and and I think, yeah. look, there's, there's a few things to listen to there like this let's can i just give some takeaways there so the takeaways there are that some common sense is coming into the discussion from scott morrison which is great um i, I think australia is doing really really well at following the guidelines uh, that the Australian government and the World Health Organization is actually putting out. So I think that's really good, and, and we should see containment or at least a flattening of the curve occur as a result of that. So, you know, good on you, Australia, and good on the government for, you know, helping that take place. I think 
pay less attention to the media um, or just get it in little snack beats. Don't get all consumed with it because it's just going to drive you crazy. The other thing is to consider is that if you're a healthy person, um, then the best thing you can do is help people around you be healthy. So mm-hmm. try to decrease the spread of the disease, of course. You know, Manage your hygiene, but at the same time, encourage other people to get healthier. So get them eating good food, get them drinking you know, quality water, get them uh, moving, moving their body, blood pumping, lymphatic you know, function improving, get them taking some vitamins. We know that vitamin C improves the immune system. There's some herbs that we know actually increase natural killer cells. So there's some things that we can actually do to increase our natural killer cells that helps us manage viral infection better. So you know, all is not lost just because there's a virus out there. Uh, keep calm, um, be wise. Don't stockpile your fridge and your freezer too much because it puts too much strain on the economy by You're doing that. You're stealing it from your neighbour. That's the thing. Yeah. You're stealing and, it from your neighbour. And the poor old lady down the road who can't get to the shops, you know, she could be starving because you've taken all the pasta. Yeah. So, you know, just think about it. A friend of George's, my sister's, was uh, Emma Norris, was in the supermarket the other day and there's a man in his 80s wanting to get toilet paper and there was none left and... Um, she didn't have any on her, but she had had a two pack of um, hand paper towel in her trolley, mm. and she mm. gave it to him, and he started crying, and just out of gratitude. And I'm like, well, this is where society's at, isn't it? We're this now just it. giving someone some of your hand towel, where they can now go to the toilet with a bit more confidence than they thought. Um, yep. Is those these these shows of love, in the most basic of ways, is one of the real blessings of of this time as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a nice story. Good story, yeah. PZ. Good one. Well done, Emma Norris. All right, guys, thanks again for your support of the podcast. We really encourage you to uh, come back to the podcast regularly and we think we can put a smile on your face even in the most <laughs> challenging of times. We've we got jokes galore. We've got so much unshared content on here. We have got jokes coming out of our back, left, and right pockets. Um, <laughs> so just you wait for next week. Uh, but again, uh, as this is a double drop on our seventh birthday, thank you for your support over these seven years. It is going to be a remarkable seven years, and we can look into the future and say that with confidence because the world always finds a way to carry on. Thanks again for your support of the podcast. Share it with your loved ones and your family. At this time, digital consumption of content is key. Share it with your friends and family how to listen to a podcast and truly, more meaningfully than ever, continue to make the rest of your life the best of your life. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.